Welcome back to the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5. Killer Bees are also known as Africanized Bees. And we all know there's nothing Africanized about these two guys. It's Joel Blank and Jeremy Branham. That's Cap. He's Blank. I'm Branham. We are the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN at 92.5. So, Chandler Rome, I love Chandler Rome's reporting. Chandler Rome does a uh, fantastic job reporting for the Astros, uh, for the Athletic. He, he pen, penned an article today uh, talking about, uh, here's the headline, Astros lost three of their biggest leaders who will step up in their absence. Uh, Joe Espada has quotes that say, look, if once the one leader leaves the room, another one does. I always find these articles very interesting because – the last time we had this was Carlos Correa and the mound visits. Mm-hmm. What are you going to do without the mound visits? Carlos Correa, his best quality is the ability to visit the mound. Look what he did with Fromber and Tant. Whenever the was it Wander? Who it was? Yandy Diaz. When Yandy Diaz is staring at him, uh, Fromber had to be calmed down by Carlos Correa's mound presence. Like it's and people were all off season. Well, who's going to step up and be the leader now that Correa's gone? Who's gonna Who's gonna fill the big shoes of the captain, Carlos Correa? They went and won a World Series. Like, it was never an issue. They didn't bat an eye. Never a problem. And I'm not poo-pooing on leadership because I do think leadership matters and I do think it's important. I just don't think it's an issue when it comes to the Houston Astros. But uh, Rome brings up the idea. Michael Brantley, who was a leader when he was around, which wasn't much, uh, he, he retired. Hector Neris was like a leader of the bullpen, especially with like the Spanish speakers. He's now a Chicago Cub. He'll be completely useless by September. Uh, and then Martin Maldonado. And the catcher positions, of course, always one that you have leadership. You're handling a pitching staff. You are visiting the mound unless Carlos Correa is around. So, like, who's going to step up in their absence? Who's going to be the leader? And I have zero fear at all when it comes to the Houston Astros that they're going to lack leadership, even under a first-year manager. Look, I don't think Jose Altuve is like the loudest voice in the room. He might be the loudest. He just doesn't talk the most. Jose Altuve can get you right, and he's proven to do that in the past. Same thing with Justin Verlander. Verlander might be a little bit of a diva and have some diva tendencies, but when Justin Verlander needs to speak, Justin Verlander speaks. I know that we mock Lance McCullers and bury me in the H and that burying him in the H came way too soon, but he has the ability to speak up and to have a loud voice in the room, as does Alex Bregman. So this whole, like, oh, the Astros are, like, we've already done this once when Carlos Correa left, and all the Astros did was win the World Series without the presence of Carlos Correa on the mound. I have zero concern about the Astros having any sort of leadership issues. Yeah, I'm with you 100%. And you named just about everybody. The one guy I would throw in just from the standpoint of experience is is um, Abreu, simply because of the fact that, you know, he's been in the game a long time, played at a high level. Obviously, his first year in Houston, he wasn't going to say a lot, and he had his own struggles. But Abreu's the kind of guy in a locker room that people are going to turn to, they're going to look to, and they're going to respect. But you're right. Because of all these guys that have been through this golden era and the guys that are still around, those are the guys that you have 100% faith in that they are going to. They know how to handle things with class. They know how to handle things the right way. I didn't know Neris was supposedly a leader. I know that he was very effective, and he was also highly emotional. But I do know that... From the standpoint of over and over again, Altuve does not want to be an outward visible leader, but when there's a time and a place for it, he's going to make sure that his voice is heard and he's going to do what needs to be done. I'm with you. I have zero concern about leadership with this team because there's a great veteran presence in this locker room. I would love that as part of this and as this golden era continues, 
I would love to see Jordan maybe take on more of it, even if it's the from the Altuve direction of it. He doesn't have to be screaming, yelling, chest-pumping kind of guy, but he's a guy that's one of your best players, and he's a guy that's going to be here. He's a guy that I would love to see kind of get groomed along the way and take on a little bit of that, a little bit more leadership as well, because that's a guy that's going to be counted on going forward, regardless of who's here and who's not after this year. Yeah. See, I don't, I'm not the type of person that needs my best player to be a leader though. Um, like if, if they do it, that's great. Like that's cool. But if they, if they don't like whatever, as long as somebody else does. And also like, is baseball that sport where you have to have the dude that grabs you by the shirt? Like, hey, let's go. Like, no, not really. Uh, King of Twitch. Uh, like, I do think that there's something that exists from a catcher. Like, if I had to pick one thing, it's like, okay, well, Yiner has to be able to step up in his ability to be able to handle a pitching staff. But you also have help. Like, you have pitching coaches. You have people around you that should be supporting him along the ride as well. Is he going to be Martin Maldonado next year? Absolutely not. Absolutely he's not going to be Martin Maldonado in this, like, the attribute of handling a pitching staff. He, he, as long as he's taking steps forward, though, and you have the help of two pitching coaches, Miller and Murphy, you have the rest of the pitching staff that whenever you know they're on an off day or they're not throwing that day, they're helpful on that front. So it, it can come from so many different areas. No, it can. But like to your point on, on the best player, I don't need the best player to be like an outward outward leader, but he's got to be he's got to be handling his business the right way because whether he likes it or not, the rest of the team, especially younger guys are going to be looking to him, looking to see how he handles things, looking to see, you know, the fact the fact that he's leading by example with the way he's playing, but you don't want him to be an ass clown like some of the the guys that are superstars, quote unquote in this league that just, you know, go off the rails or get thrown out at the wrong time or do stupid stuff on or off the field. And that goes into it as well, and I think. Yeah, that, but he, do you, you don't think he's that guy. No, I don't like, think. No, 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 no. But there's plenty of examples of guys that are that guy, though, that you don't want them to be, and that kind of constitutes to me a, a, a leadership quality as well. Because when times are tough or he's been through some situations, there are going to be guys that lean on him, and he doesn't have to. Like I said, he doesn't have to go and, and make an example of himself, but he has to. He has to be a leader within the culture of that clubhouse, and that's why I think overall it, it's just as easy to sum up as saying. The culture they've built in that locker room is so strong that I don't think any player that's on this roster is going that have been here for any t- period of time is going to allow that to kind of get out of hand or get away from them. King of all twitches, leadership is overrated when you're millionaires playing a game. I do think that leadership can be overrated. Uh, I, I think it's like I rather have it than not have it. Don't get me wrong, but am I am I picking leadership over a guy who can hit 320 with 30 homers and driving 120 runs? Never. Like I not once. Never. And I think that you can find leadership from your non like highly paid players. Uh, Martin Maldonado has proven that. Martin Maldonado was one of your leaders, and he was one of your worst offensive players. Uh, 713-780-3776-4958. You have Altuve and Verlander in leadership positions. Enough said. Those guys are, are respected. Like, and mm-hmm. you know, Verlander I don't think is you – know, he's not going to speak up a lot – and I do think that Verlander has some diva tendencies, which is fine. He's earned it. Like, you, you brought up Jose Altuve. He's not really one that wants to talk a ton, which I agree with. But he's not scared of it, though. Right. Like, it's, it's one thing to not want to do it all the time, and it's another thing to not want to do it, but then also be hesitant and timid about it because you don't want confrontation or you're not comfortable with confrontation. He's not that guy. Like, he's proven it on the field that he's willing to say something if, he, if, it, if it crosses the line with him. 
I think for me, too, like when you look at the Astros leadership equation, it's got to be some of the younger guys have to step up here because it is going to be their team here very, very soon. Jeremy Pena, um, like Yiner, Chaz McCormick even. Like the the young guys have to kind of fill that void because it's great if Bregman, if if this is important to the locker room or the clubhouse and, and two people out there, it's great if Bregman does it for a season, but we all know he's leaving. Like Jordan Alvarez probably can't be your best leader. He doesn't play when it's too smoky outside. Like yeah. I, I don't know if that can be your well, number that's why one you can't leader. Throw Tucker in there either because you, you, yeah. you don't know how long he's going to be here. Yeah, like I'm not but really. What if they just, but what if they have average leadership? Now they're not going to be a good baseball team. Well, that's, who's going to give Who's going to give the speech in the World Series? Jeremy Michael Brantley's gone. That's why you have managers to motivate players, and that's why you have coaches to motivate players. Like the whole, oh my goodness, they're great. They're they're led. He's the best leader in the league. Cool. But what does that give you? What does that get you? You need talent. You need players that have success. Like you need to produce. Locker room speeches are overrated. The, the Astros had a hundred locker room speeches last year and fell one game shy of the World Series. They lost Carlos Correa, then won the World Series. Why do we still put value in like, oh my See, goodness, they lost this unbelievable leader. Somebody's going to step up. It's the nature of the business. It is, but Jeremy, what, what I'm saying is the way I view some of this leadership is is like you mentioned with Maldonado, but it could be in so many different ways, whether it's you know on an off day or talking philosophy with pitchers like Verlander sharing, because you're right, he is, he is and can be kind of a, an aloof guy, sticks to himself, diva if you want to call it that. But at the same time, you're looking for guys that can kind of take the guys, the younger players that Joe's talking about. You need to you know, get some leadership qualities. Well, you got to learn it first. And on the field is the stuff that matters the most. What are you thinking in situations like this? Like they could lean on Brantley to understand, hey, pitchers in this situation or lefty or righty or, you know, doing this or in his experiences, whether you're leading outwardly or trying to be a leader of men or not, I get it. It's ba- how it relates to baseball is up for its subjective. But when it you can lead by kind of developing the young talent both on the field and setting them up for situations so that when the situation arises, it's not too big for them and not everybody's standing around going, what do we do now? So which of these young players in the Astros are you fearful of having a situation that it's too big for them? Jeremy Pena has been the World Series MVP. Jordan Alvarez has hit the biggest home run in postseason history for the Houston Astros. Um, maybe like a Hunter Brown, maybe like a I Yiner think, Diaz. I think like Yiner these young for players sure. On these, I mean, yeah, Yiner perhaps, but I mean the other young players on this team have, have achieved. They've succeeded at the highest level. But – you got a, a first-year manager, too, so that's going to factor in, too, no matter. We just got done talking about when coaches take over for the first time and, and bumps are gonna, in the road are going to happen, mistakes are going to be made. But Yiner's the first guy that I would look to, not only because he's got big shoes defensively with Maldi, but also because offensively there's, you know, he struggled in the playoffs, and there's things that he, 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 you can help him to kind of move his, his progression along a, a, a bit. So you're right. It's a different team than most teams in baseball because their young guys are already experienced and they've already gotten their feet wet. But there are still, you know, there are still some players that you got more to do with. If you're going to, you know, completely rely on Jake Myers, Jake Myers could use a couple of shoulders to to lean on and, and try and figure some stuff could out. Could he too. though, or could he use thirty points with the batting average? But it, it's not just thirty <laughs> points with the batting average. It's understanding situations. You know, maybe in how you attack a, a baseball in certain situations. In you know, or give me use, that situation. I'm saying it, later. You know, it could be a late game playoff game or something like that, or knowing something about a certain field you're playing in, or doing things like that, where you can have a veteran that says, "Hey, man." Another thing besides just taking fungos off the wall tonight, be aware of this or in this situation, do that to where 
it is different because they are so far along in advance than most teams in baseball. But I still think there's way there's a there's always going to be a need for some kind of leadership, depending on how you define it with with any team. Yeah, I don't think. Yeah, like I don't. I think it has some weight, but I think it is very very small, and I think it is highly highly overrated. Uh, you can point back to Correa now. Here, like let me let me ask it this way. Let's let's say on a scale of one to ten, you know, the ten being the highest leadership attribute you can have, one being the worst. Would you rather Yiner Diaz have a seven leadership points and hit two fifty with fifteen homers? Or would you rather Yiner be a four leader and hit three twenty with thirty five homers? No, I understand. The obvious answer is is you know to take. Well, the that's four what I'm nitpicking. I'm not but, saying that leadership is is a zero. I'm saying that we but, overrate leadership. Like all the things you're saying are accurate. Like it's it's factual. But, but it's also that it's not the importance of leadership. And I think that the importance of leadership is highly overrated. But that and I understand that. But. My thing is, is that thank God we're not relying if it is Yiner at a four, but doing what he's doing offensively, that he's not the only guy that's going to be leaned on to be a leader because that's where it's leadership by committee. Like you've got enough veterans that we named off that depending on the situation are going to be able to do a lot of the things that Maldi did by the mound visits. I can see Bregman going out. You know, and and others trying to calm down a pitcher. I could see Abreu doing that, but I could also see you know guys depending on the situation. Jordan's been in every big moment from an offensive perspective that he can say, "Hey, I faced this guy before, been in this situation before. Think about this or keep an eye on that." So I think it's okay to say that you could do leadership by committee too. But I still think that there's a place for leadership in all professional sports, even in, yeah, in baseball. No one's arguing that. No one, no one's arguing that there isn't a place for leadership. We're talking about the importance of the leadership, and I'm not worried about the leadership being an issue for the Astros. Zero four two three. Let's not forget we no longer have Dusty. Uh, that will make up for as many wins as the best leader ever would. Uh, I, I, I take some sarcasm there. Mm-hmm. I read some sarcasm there. Uh, I think that I'm right, but I'm not 100 percent sure. Nine seven eight zero. The key here is maintaining the culture. The Astros have established an incredible culture. They always will be the villain in every town that they go. They are never ever phased by it. They know how to be clutch when the game is on the line, and they know how to attack other teams' weaknesses. The Astros of the early 2000s never had that. They must maintain this. I, I think that's the biggest thing. Like I'll take the culture over the leadership because I think the culture instills leadership when when other players have to. Like when Correa leaves, somebody steps up. When Amaldi leaves, somebody's going to step up. And the reason. Why? Because the culture has been established to form and develop those leaders. Think about what Hayter said in his press conference, too. I wanted to be a part of that because I knew what that clubhouse was all about, not just on the field and trying to win games, but how they had each other's back, how they cared about one another, and I wanted to be a part of that. That says something about the long-standing, whatever you want to call it. It starts with calling it the culture, but just the overall ability for them to kind of handle their business in an, in in the clubhouse and on the field that that a lot of players see from afar and go that's something that's been lacking with a lot of good baseball teams over the years and a lot of teams period in general that you if you don't have it you know you don't have it and if you have it you know you don't have to worry about a whole hell of a lot more 713-780 ESPN HRP listener line 713-780-3776 it is mock draft season how do we make the Texans get better? How are they closer to being a Super Bowl team next year? Well, we get them closer with our mock drafts. It's the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. 
Welcome back to the Killer Bees Nuts. Live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios on ESPN 97.5 and 92.5. Here's Joel Blank and that Jeremy Branham guy. He's Blank. I'm Branham. Killer Bees, ESPN 97.5, ESPN 92.5, Team chemistry matters way more than leadership. Uh, you can have a team that gels well and morale is high without a leader, and they'll go for, further than a team with a great leader that has terrible chemistry. I, I would agree, and I think a lot of the things that you were describing, Blankers, like, hey, how do you play this off a wall here? Or what do you look for in a 2-2 pitch against a lefty mm-hmm. here? I think that's more chemistry than leadership because like you said that can come from all over that's like do you have a team that's talking to each other helping each other out because like one specific leader like if he's a pitcher well he's not going to have those conversations with you so I agree with the team chemistry matters more than leadership that this texter said now I will say kind of like talking out of both sides of my mouth here a little bit I think they do work hand in hand because I think that good led teams have the better chemistry yeah, you're right. And, I mean, I think that we've heard stories in the past about sometimes, and I want to say at a certain point, JV wasn't exactly outwardly and openly trying to help. Uh, it might have been when Hunter Brown first came up that they didn't have many conversations. And Prior then, to them meeting. Like, once they met, though, like, uh, J- everything that I've read, JV was very helpful. to. Brown. Yeah, I, well, and, and I don't want to just, like I said, I don't want to misquote any, anything. So, I, But I know that there's been times when, like, you get a young, impressionable player that's coming up that would love to get – the advice of a veteran and would love to get kind of the, you know, the, the, the tips that they got along the way. And, and well, and you know, and from a football perspective, it's like Favre did that to Rogers where he shut him out. Didn't want to help him at all. Roethlisberger did it in Pittsburgh. And, and that's the last thing you want. You want, instead of that me, me, me culture, you want the kind of guys that are going to be like, Hey, at some point, no matter what I've achieved in my career, this team this year, I might need that kid to do something for me or be what Pena was a couple years ago so that we can achieve our goals as a team so it's in my best interest to help these guys out. So that's the kind of things you're right. You can tag it a bunch of different ways for how you call it, but like I said, when you don't have it, you know, and when you have it, it can go a long way. All right, let's make the Texans better. Uh, And we make the Texans better by drafting. For the Texans, our mock draft season. Uh, This mock draft today comes from uh, Josh Edwards of CBS Sports. I do like to take a look at the first few picks, uh, especially now that Joe's back. Uh, It was sad to see him be gone all last week. But uh, every every draft we've been looking at has the Bears taking Caleb Williams at number one. So, Joe, do you you think there's any chance they don't take Caleb Williams at number one? Because every one that we've seen is Caleb Williams at number one. Uh, I I think there is a 80% chance they take Caleb Williams number one. Okay. Uh, are they All trading right. fields? Uh, yes. I, I think that there is still an outside shot that, you know, once upon a time they went to a steak dinner and uh, were so impressed with the way Mitchell Trubisky uh, interacted with the staff at the steak dinner that they took him over Deshaun Watson. Uh, so I won't rule out anything with this organization. But that, unlike, I know, and King of Twitch brought this up, people are trying to suggest, like, fields for Dak. I doubt what? it. I know. It, this <laughs> Cowboys Come website on. is suggesting fields for Dak. I told you the one that I saw. It's yeah, going to be a pick. It's going to be for picks. There aren't yes. going to be players. The, well, the one rumor I saw was that it might be a package, but the was package that a rumor was centered. Or was it someone speculating? Someone, I forget if, if it was ESPN or someone said that the 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 scenario was the Bears, feel, Atlanta would be a taker for fields, and it would be a package around picks and uh, Kyle Pitts. Oh, okay. So it'd be kind of like the DJ Moore trade. Yeah. Right, right. Okay. I just, I think, I think I'm 80 percent sure it's Caleb Williams. 
Yeah, I don't think it will be quarterback for quarterback, like something like that. Right, no. Uh-huh. I, could see, I could see a flyer player like that, like a Moore type. I could see that. Uh, so Williams to Chicago. Yeah, Jaden Williams. More and Daniels. more often we're seeing uh, – yeah, Jaden Daniels. More – I can't read. Uh, we're seeing more and more often Jaden Daniels going number two, which I hope not. I have a bet writing on that. Uh, number three, Drake May goes to New England. Marvin Harrison seems like a lock right now at four. Brock Bowers, the tight end of Georgia, going number five. The Malik neighbor, six to the Giants. Joe Alt. Seven to Tennessee, Dallas Turner, eight to Atlanta, Jared First. I've kind of seen him up and down. He goes number nine to Chicago. Congratulations. And then Olalumawa Fashuna. Say it with conviction. Well, you he did. goes to Penn State or he goes from Penn State to New York, uh, the Jets at number ten. Gives some offensive line help for Rodgers. Scroll on down, quarterbacks, JJ McCarthy, thirteen to the Raiders, and that is it. Before we get to the Texans at number twenty three. So, CBS Sports, their mock draft, they have the Houston Texans selecting Chop Robinson again. So, another opportunity for us to talk about Chop Robinson. The two picks after that, Graham Barton goes to uh, Dallas from Duke. We're going to see a lot of tackles here because it looks like they're going to need tackle. And at number 25 to Green Bay, they have Kool-Aid McKinstry. So, we've been playing the uh, you can put your shoe, your feet in Nick Casario's shoes. You have the option of those three guys, 23, 24, 25, the guys that were taken there. Chop Robinson. Robinson, Graham Barton, Kool-Aid McKinstry. I think we can erase Graham Barton from this list. So we're looking at a Chop Robinson, Edge from Penn State, Kool-Aid McKinstry, corner from Alabama. Yeah, and this, again, relies solely, I think, on what you're doing with the guys that are currently in those positions that are free agents, Stevie Nelson and Grenard. You know how important it's going to be to have another guy on the other edge opposite of Will Anderson, and if it's not going to be Jonathan Grenard, then if this is the way that you choose to go about it, then you go and look at getting a, a young rookie off, I mean, defensive pass rusher that can be the other bookend to Will Anderson Jr. And if you look at the fact that you know that there's a chance that Stevie Nelson's going to leave, then you look at Kool-Aid McKinstry. Of the two, I'm going with Chop Robinson because we we heard D'Amico at the end of the year. We know how much he is adamant about improving the defensive line and how important it is to whatever they're going to do. And we just talked about watching these conference championship games and understanding how important the defense is. So if Grenard is gone, it's even more Chop Robinson. But even with Grenard, there's a case to be made that you need to have injuries happen, rotations are going to happen, and you need a guy that can come in and do the same kind of things, whether Grenard's hurt, whether Grenard's taken a series off, or the fact, and you're rotating guys, or you just need a guy to be dominant for the long run alongside Will Anderson. So I'm going to stick with Chop Robinson. If, if John Grenard is brought back and Steven Nelson is not, I'm drafting Kool-Aid sure. McKinstry at pick number 23. If Steven Nelson is back and John Grenard is gone, I'm drafting Chop Robinson at number 23. If they're both back, I'll go Chop Robinson at number 23. Mm-hmm. If they're both gone, if they're both gone, man, that's a tough one. See, I think if they're both gone, they're going to look long and hard at free agency for a defensive pass rusher. Yeah. Yeah, but I think that they would also try to sign a corner, too. Uh, but well, I sure. think you're you're probably probably right. I think you can get a better defensive end in free agency than you can a corner too. So because of that, I'll go Kool Aid McKinstry. If they're both gone, I'll go the corner uh, because you talked me into it. Joe, where are you at on this one? I'm just I'm taking Kool Aid straight up. No matter what. No matter what. In, in so, this okay, scenario. Okay, so let me let me draw. Let me. Okay, so you bring back Stephen Nelson. You don't bring back John Grenard. You're still drafting Kool Aid McKinstry. And, and the reason for that is because I think Nick Casario. I, I know it's just a waiver wire pickup, but. We know with Derek Barnett, Jerry Hughes, guys, like Nick Casario's brought in players pretty consistently 
through veteran deals, cheap deals, waiver wire pickups that kind of shows he can identify pass rushers for the cheap. So I, I'm going to go off the, the fact that I think Will Anderson's going to be a 10-sack guy and, and Nick Casario can find someone else. And and to me, Kool-Aid looks like a, a way bigger improvement over Steven Nelson than I think Chop Robinson would be over where else you can find guys. And I like Chop, Chop Robinson a lot, but also, can I really pass on a guy named Kool-Aid? Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. But I, just, I, I think Nick Casario does a better job evaluating defensive pass rushers and defensive linemen than he does cornerbacks, at least through free agency and stuff. So I'm going Kool-Aid. I mean, and you look. can also uh, like I don't know if you were with us last week, Joe. Whenever I I gave you my I'm not I don't want to pay Grenard. I want to I want to bring back JJ Watt. So that's where I'm at. I was there for that. Okay, I wasn't sure if you were there for that. I was. I I, I don't want to do that. I mean, Stevie like, Nelson though he, he evaluated Watt. Stevie Nelson. He yeah. brought him in. Stevie Nelson hasn't been bad at all. He hasn't. But I think as soon as you pay him anything more than what you've paid him now, he's an overpaid contract. Like, I think he's perfectly suited to where he is right now. I think he's a good player, not a great player. And plus, if you lock down your corner spots, like your 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 pass rush is just going to look better because they're going to have less time. I, don't get me wrong. I don't think they're going to bring him back, and I don't think they should because I think for what he wants, and he's obviously looking to get top dollar the way he tried to negotiate even with his social media posts and, and taking shots at Nick when he didn't get the contract initially, he's going for, bro- he's going for his bag again. And, and I think you can find veteran corners on the market – that not even that veteran, I mean, but have years under their belt experience and just get another version of Stevie Nelson, maybe a younger version of Stevie Nelson. I think you can find those. That pass rusher, though, is going to be hyper important, especially the way D'Amico wants to coach defense. And that's why I think they would focus that way. It is interesting because it is the focus more of D'Amico. You're 100% right. Looking at this free agency class, it looks like it's more saturated with good defensive ends, though, than at its corners. Now, you know, maybe there's somebody we haven't really talked about or heard of, and he's a top, you know, he's not a top 100 free agent, but maybe he just hasn't had a chance to play. Maybe he's been behind a couple of good corners, and then Casario can go find that guy, too. Uh, I, I would agree that Casario has proven that he can find both of those positions. It just feels like there's more pass rushers mm. in free agency this year. Uh, than corners, so it, it makes me nervous to, you know, leave or enter. It makes me nervous to enter the draft without a corner opposite of Stingley. And then, like, do you want a corner opposite of Stingley that's a rookie? Like, eh, I don't. I wouldn't mind it, especially if he's talented like Kool Aid. Uh, texture says that D'Amico likes Alabama players, which I mean, yeah, I, I guess that can't be true. He drafted. <laughs> so does Casario. He's talked Harris. about it. That's the other thing is like, well, Casario drafted Christian Harris before D'Amico was ever yep. even here. Like, is this more of a Casario thing? Is it more of a D'Amico thing? I know that we look at D'Amico because he went to Alabama, but I also would argue that Casario looks at the SEC because the SEC is the closest college conference to the NFL, so it's easier to make those evaluations than, like, the whack, you know? So, and then who's making the draft pick? Is it Casario? Is it is it D'Amico? So, like... Casario yeah, said tough. over and over to your point, Jeremy, he's like, it's the closest thing to the NFL, and he loves... SEC, he loves Alabama players. He's talked about that because of how well Saban recruited and the kind of depth they have at Alabama. So, yeah, I mean, he started loving SEC players and Alabama players before D'Amico got there. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's a good point. Uh, eight eight six three doesn't happen much, but I disagree with Blankers. Nelson got picked on during the season. I can't believe it didn't doesn't happen much. That's a compliment, I think, Blankers. Well, I think it was. I'll take it as such. I, I look, think it's more of a compliment, right? Yeah, I, yeah. I think, but I think that Stevie Nelson, over the 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 totality of his time in, in Houston, I think he's been a, a, an above average player. I think he's 
he's done a really good job. Yeah, there were times this year, but you can say that just about any corner. Sometimes, no matter what, no matter how you play, if you're playing, especially you're in a zone and you're not getting the help, you're going to be, a lot of people are going to sing. They did it to sing Stingley in his first couple of years a lot where they were like, oh, he got beat on that play. But if you don't understand the zone and understand where guys are supposed to be, it can happen. The, the best of corners are going to get beat. It just happens. Devin says they should start liking Georgia players more, especially on the defensive side. All right, 713-780-3776. It's time for our Mailbag Monday. You can ask the Killer Bees whatever your little heart desires. 713-780-3776. Your questions for the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. Hey, before we go to the break, I want to tell you about Daisy Dips because we had the Daisy Dips ready to go this weekend because they are absolutely delicious. And if you're having people over to watch the big games or watch a sporting event or doing whatever, you're entertaining and you want to make sure that what you're putting out there for snacks or d'oeuvres and a meal is good and people like it, you can get a lot of enhancement from Daisy Dips because they have French onion and they have ranch and you don't have to make it from scratch and sit there in the kitchen and try and get the right mix like my mom used to do when we were growing up and having the family over or having friends over to watch games. It's all done for you. Just go to your local grocery store. Go to the dairy aisle. Go find the dips. You're going to find Daisy Dips, the French onion, and the ranch. They're absolutely spectacular. They're delicious. You don't have to do any work. You're going to be a hero with your guests, and they're going to enhance everything. From the wings and the pizza to the chips and the veggies, they're going to make everything taste a little better because they are done by the best, and that's Daisy. Daisy does the dollops of sour cream that you can always use on your baked potato, but now you can get the dips, and you can make everything taste better at your function and gathering. Check them out today at your grocery store. Get you some Daisy. You've got mail. It's Mailbag Monday with the Killer Bees. Something's in the bag. Mommy? Mommy? What's in the bag? Oh, what's in the box? Time for our Mailbag Monday. You can ask the Killer Bees whatever you want. He's blank on Branham. 713-780-3776. What's your question for the Killer Bees? Uh, Key from L.A., who is more important to a team, a starting pitcher or a starting quarterback? Oh, I think it's without question the most important position in all sports we've talked about is a starting quarterback starting quarterback is bar none hands down the the most important position in sports the only thing that i would push back on is the best player on a basketball team but i would i would still lean quarterback for what it's worth uh, I, if we were to have the argument that's what i would say but i mean you have five starting pitchers like at minimum um you can have a really good offense and not need great starting pitching look at the texas rangers so yeah, this is quarterback without uh, without a question. And Key from L.A., I think even asking that question shows your lack of knowledge when it comes to baseball. I'm just kidding you because I love you, and you always give us grief for talking baseball, uh, even though you're from L.A., and that goes to show he's you that Otani people in L.A. don't like baseball. Ha <laughs> ha. What's quarter, that? He's hoping Otani returns to be a starting pitcher and plays quarterback. Maybe so. Maybe so. Stafford's getting a little long in the tooth. Mm-hmm. One four eight three. Will Sweat from Texas be there at twenty three? I think he. Sh- I think that. Go ahead. I really think he could because we've had him in some of the mock drafts, and I think. Look, as much as we're talking about a pass rusher, I think the pass rusher comes in free agency, but I think you improve the interior defensive line that D'Amico wants to do with a guy like Sweat. That's why we've brought him up. I think he'd be great if he was there at twenty three. I think there's. I think it's 100% that he'll be there at 23. Murphy seems to be the better of the two Texas defensive tackles. I like them both, just depending on their value. Uh, but, yeah, if, if the Texans left the draft with either Murphy or Sweat, depending on the round, I, I wouldn't be upset with that uh, whatsoever. 713-780-3776. What do you think about the 24 hours of Daytona? I think I'll pass. Sounds like something Will Ferrell would star in. Yeah, um... 
or uh, a, a documentary on spring break back in the day. What do y'all do? Y'all know what it is? Yeah, it's, it's yeah. an auto race. Yeah, is a, it like legit? They have different races for twenty four straight hours. It is. I, you are in a car with your team, but you are driving for a full for a full twenty four hours. And it's just one race. Yeah, as far as I know. I mean, I could be I, that. That's how I've always understood it to be. It's a twenty four hour sports car endurance race held annually that kicks off the new IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship season. Uh, I think this is really cool. Um, is it more than one driver? I don't think so. Because that doesn't sound safe. 24 hours driving a car in circles? That sounds like, I mean, that's Rex Galore. That sounds like that sounds like it's a very dangerous thing. Caffeine, I have baby. Couldn't have this in, at BYU, but you could, you, you're going to need your caffeine. They'll have to assume there's more than one driver. If not, this is very dangerous, and I, I do not condone it. Uh, I think it's cool. Like, I'm not a NASCAR guy. Like, I'm sorry. I never will be. But I think it's cool for those that like NASCAR. Like, remember when college basketball used to have the 24-hour opening day? Yep. That was awesome. It like, was that great. was really cool. So if, you, if I were a NASCAR fan, I would love this. I would love this. So, But I'm not. So I'm out. Uh, Eric, the driver. Why does the NFL and MLB have historic celebrated rivalries where the NBA only seems to have flashpoint rivalries? I think it's depending on your definition of a rivalry, but I think that kind of to your point about quarterback versus best player, everybody now the rivalries are player driven instead of where it used to be rivalries between teams for years and years that the NBA kind of tries to market itself a little differently too. But I mean, also NBA guys jump ship all the time. It's tougher to in all sports is getting that way, but it's not like you used to have the Yankees, Red Sox, or you know all these different you know Bears, Packers. They try to make it a thing for the last couple of years. It hasn't been a thing, so it's tougher to say from a tradition standpoint. And with player movement as much, it's harder to have those longstanding rivalries. I think it has something to do with division rivalries in the regular season. Like NFL regular season still means something, and you play division opponents twice. So, like, I think that that comes into play. Plus, it's a little bit more special because you play less games. So, playing that team consistently twice every year, every year, like that to me matters. Like, in the regular season, matters more in the NFL. And then baseball, you had like these long-standing divisional rivals, and you used to have to win your division to get into the championship series. So I think that that's why. Whereas NBA, you know, winning your division doesn't really matter. You always had like the Celtics, Lakers became a rivalry because they were playing in the finals forever, and then just random teams pop up. You don't really have this long-standing like you have some local rivalries, things like that. But that would be that would be my answer, anyways. Seven one three seven eight. Zero three seven seven six. What's your favorite deli spot in Houston? I like Mandola's. Go Cooks. Go Cooks. Okay, uh, I'll narrow it down to two. Um, I think Kenny and Ziggy's uh, because I'm partial to the old school deli sandwiches that are just loaded down. Uh, and if it's not Kenny and Ziggy's, it's probably Katz's. It never closes. It never does. And there was one by the house when I lived in Midtown, and it was a lifesaver after uh, you know a night out in the town. Mandola's Deli is great. They do more Italian than anything. Chicken parm sandwich there is fantastic. So I'll say Mandola's too, even though you can make an argument that it's not very deli-ish. Now, I'm not a huge deli guy. Uh, I'm not like sandwiches for me. Like I don't, I'll eat them. Like I'm not going to turn down a good sandwich. But I very rarely go out of my way to have a sandwich. So I'm uh, not a big deli guy. I'm not the guy to ask. On the road, we loved them. The the the. The ones that were just like, like I said, and you could always, you could always guarantee that you're not going to finish the sandwich. You can, you, there's more that you can even pick, take back to the room. But in LA and in New York, the delis, the stagecoach deli, and some of the famous delis, ooh, those are those are pretty good. 
Yeah, I, I trust that they're good. I, I don't mind when I go. I just I never really go out of my way. Eric Branham, what golf course does your dad teach at? He's been around the block a time or two. He's currently at Elkins Lake in Huntsville, but he's been at, like, April Sound. He's been at uh, Willow Creek. He's been at Deerwood. He's been at the Kingwood Ooh. courses, the Advantage course. Yeah, he's been – Club Corp sends you on a roller coaster. Yeah. But Deerwood's he's one Elkins of my all-time favorites. Yeah, my, I worked there. I worked there in uh, high school and college. That's a great I, track. Uh, I, that's my favorite course in town, too. Um, 6856, how important was Trent Dilfer to the Ravens in 2000? Did Ooh. he quarterback him? I mean, he was That's a game actually, manager. That was, key, that was key from L.A. That's his counterpoint to uh, why his quarterback is more important than starting pitching. Also, by the way, that the game has changed and evolved even more into a passer's game, so it's different now. But back then, did he screw up or did he manage the game correctly enough to get him a win so that the defense could do their thing? I think he did his job. It's also yeah, like a one in thirty example, right? It's and it's that's and, key and, from and LA. Is, and Blankers is onto something too about how the game has changed so much. But I, I would say that the like it's a good counterpoint. But I would say their defense was just going to win games, just like a really good offense is going to win games. It doesn't matter who your starting pitching is. Like the equivalent to the Baltimore Ravens defense would have been like the greatest offense of all time. That was just going to outslug every team they played, anyways. That's fair. Uh, 8755, am I stupid to say I love sandwiches but not burgers? Yes. Yes, you, you are. are. Yeah, that's just not intelligent. More, uh, yeah, cheeseburgers or sandwiches? Cheeseburgers for me. Cheeseburgers as well. Ten times out of ten. Are cheeseburger sandwiches? I would say I would no. Say that, I would say they are. I would say no. A sandwich? I, can you get a cheeseburger at a deli? Uh, yeah. It you depends can. on the deli you yeah, go to. Yeah, it depends because Katz is for sure sells cheeseburgers. I th- I think and they're really good. I think is cheeseburger a sandwich is a way better better conversation than is a hot dog a sandwich. I, I would agree. There's what, what does Google tell us? Is, che- is a cheeseburger a sandwich? What is a sa- like? We, I guess we needed to find. Yeah, because it can sandwich. two pieces of bread, bread or Based a bun. On their right? definitions, it's clear that a burger meets the basic requirements of a sandwich. It has two ple- it has two slices of bread. In this case, a bun with a filling in between. There you go. Define sandwich. I really want to argue this. This is a hill that I would die on. Uh, a sandwich is an item of food consisting of two bread, uh, of two pieces of bread with meat, cheese, or any other filling between them. Yeah, I don't. I don't think I have an argument. So then, the hot dog doesn't qualify because it's one it's piece one. of bread. Yes. What happens if you cut it though? It's well, a good question. Can it be like because you like? Yeah. What happens if you cut it? Yeah, but you're you're changing the you're changing the bread. It doesn't come that way. I think by definition, a cheeseburger is a sandwich, and a hot dog is not. Agreed. What about a taco? No, it's one. Oh, that's, that's that's one piece. It's not oh, yeah. bread. It's one tortilla. Oh, a soft taco. Yeah. Now, if your hard shell taco breaks, well, how it does do you not think they become... make hard tacos, Blankers? Huh? How do you think a hard taco comes to exist? Well, I get it, but actually, <laughs> bread would be more like with the yeast and the the different uh, the things that make the bread the bread instead of a, a tortilla, whether it's crispy and fried or it's wrapped. This is one we don't need to go. Uh, it's a hot dog a taco. That's a good question too. Man, let's see. Let's see what the Google says. Define taco. No, a taco is a Mexican dish consisting of a fried tortilla. That's how it gets hard. Uh, typically folded, filled with various mixtures such as seasoned meats, beans, lettuce, and tomatoes. No, a hot dog is not a taco. No, not even close. It's got to be a Mexican dish. Fair. And nothing about a hot dog is a Mexican dish unless you're cooking discada, in which case it can be. Yeah, I guess a cheeseburger would be a sandwich, though. Man. Yeah. You sound so defeated. Yeah, you do am, seem like you're disappointed in that. You were like, it seemed like you're, you're ready to die on this hill and you just got, you got crushed. I did. I got owned. 
I got owned in this argument, and I, I'm sad because I don't want to say a cheeseburger is a sandwich. But every time somebody asks me what's my favorite sandwich, I'm now going to say a cheeseburger. Uh, I despise how two teams in the NFL handled their coaching search. I'll tell you who those two teams were and why I despised it. It's the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. Hey, before we go to the break, tell you about my good friend Doc Linville. Doc Linville, best in the business at the Neograph Procedure. If you don't know what it is, but you've lost your hair, you're losing your hair, you've got pattern baldness and thinning spots, you don't think there's anything you can do about it, you really can. It's not the sprays and the creams and the foams that just mask the problem. It's legitimately taking care of the problem once and for all. It's your own hair. Genetically, you're never going to lose the hair on the sides and the back of your head. So Doc takes some of that. He repurposes it. You still have total coverage on the sides and the back, but you get more where you need it most. It makes a substantial difference in your appearance, your coverage area, and your self-confidence, and it's a game changer. You, as the listener to ESPN 97.5, can meet with Doc Linville and his staff and get all the information for absolutely free. It normally costs 150 bucks for a consult. You get it free for listening to us just by going to 975hair.com. Set up an appointment. Go in, ask questions, get answers. See if you're the next in line to get the procedure like I did and reap the benefits. It's phenomenal. It's fantastic. It is painless, and you're going to see the true results in six to nine months, but already, as soon as the procedure's done, you will see the follicles. You will see them getting getting there in place, getting ready to grow, and you are going to be excited about the results that you are going to witness over the next several months. It's a fantastic procedure done by the best in the business. Check them out today and tell them I sent you by because I cannot say enough good things about Doc and his staff. Go to 975hair.com. It's time to sit back, relax, and enjoy this next bit of brilliance with Joel and Jeremy. Live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios, it's the Killer Bees. All right, there's two teams that I don't like the way that they've handled their coaching search, and if I was a fan of those two teams, I would not be pleased in the direction of their two teams, although their flagship would probably be talking about how they won their press conference. Uh, I'll start with the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, I was reading today in The Athletic talking about how they, they came to, to be, they came to land on, on Raheem Morris, and then their like head of communication CEO guy was tweeting at me yeah. saying, oh, you should like Raheem Morris, here's why. Um the Atlanta Falcons, they, first off, Arthur Blank wanted to have, he wanted to hire Bill Belichick. So first and foremost, we know right out of the gate, Arthur Blank wanted to hire Bill Belichick. And I'm not saying that was the right decision. I'm not saying that, uh, that Bill Belichick should have been the slam dunk. I'm not saying that's who they ultimately should have landed on. In fact, I've said the opposite about Bill Belichick in the coaching carousel was that are we sure the game hasn't passed them by? What's the allure for, for Bill Belichick? Look what he's done the last few years. But it's how they went about it. This was from The Athletic. They said that, my understanding is Blank went into the process wanting to hire Belichick as coach. But those around the owner, fearing what that could mean, it nudged him in different directions. After a while, the amount of change hiring Belichick could require weight on Blank, especially when taking into consideration that making the amount of change might only get him two years of Bill Belichick. How I read this, Blankers, is you had people in the organization that because they were worried about their own job, convinced the owner to go away who he initially wanted. I don't think that's the way you come up with a head coach. Like, that could have been the best option. No, I option think- A could have been the very best option that they could have got, but because other people in the Atlanta Falcons business were scared about having Bill Belichick around, they nudged the the owner, Arthur Blank, to go in a different direction. This is like Easterby to me. I was just going to say, is this not Jack Easterby to a T? Because when you think about it, Jeremy, take it a step further, because I saw a lot of those tweets, and I'm going, 
Why did they feel that they had to justify anything to anybody? They just make their choice and then back the guy 100%. But when you think about it, Rich McKay had the, 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 the guy that was considered to be head of football operations and, and general manager, whatever his title was, he got bumped out after this. He's a Belichick guy. He's been a, he's been a guy that's been a Belichick guy. They've worked together in the past. So as part of this, if now the, the, the head coach and the GM are now reporting to Arthur Blank directly and they changed the hierarchy and the structure as well, it's kind of weird that they've had to do all of this kind of extra work to try and justify the coach and the hire that they made. So I think that, yeah, I didn't like the way they handled it either. And I think that part of it, too, is there's a whole lot of CYA for a guy that's been there before that you could easily have sold on the fact that, look, he's a young up-and-coming coach. Getting him back in the building is phenomenal. He knows how we do things. We, you know, He's got a great defensive mind. He's going to do whatever he's going to do. You could have spun it a lot of different ways. But the fact that you come out of the gates defensive and, and, and CYA on all of this is a bad look. And it just seems to be like... Arthur Blank kind of relented at the last minute or just kind of faded out and just said, okay, you guys do it your way. But Jerry Jones wouldn't have done that. And I think Jerry's a guy that's always been focused on big name, old school kind of guys like that. It's it's crazy how they, they went about their business. It, it felt like it was job preservation for all of the other people. Like in a way to cover their own tells, they convinced the owner who wanted somebody else to hire someone else. And then that someone else that they hired, you mentioned Raheem Morris, He's 21 and 38 lifetime. Yeah. He's been a head coach for three years and then an interim coach for part of a fourth. He has never finished in the top half of a division. He finished fourth in his first year in Tampa. He finished third in his second year in Tampa. Now, they did go 10 and 6 that year. It was a good division. Uh, I do feel the need to say that. And then he got fired after a 4 and 12 year where they finished last. Took over for Atlanta in 2020, the interim head coach after they moved on from Quinn. And they did some things with him, but they still finished 4 and 7. Now, taking over a, a team that already fired their coach, I, I really don't put that 2020 against him at all but you end up with a Raheem Morris whenever the owner wanted uh Bill Belichick and then how did that process go and then you had some of the other contenders like you know how do we feel about Bobby Slowick versus how do other people feel about Bobby Slowick uh this texter just mentions I felt like Mike Vrabel would have been the perfect fit in Atlanta which I would agree with with the small exception that Arthur Smith came from the Vrabel's tree Mm -hmm. like I didn't see Atlanta hiring Vrabel after they moved on from Smith keep in mind they hired Arthur Smith who was the offensive coordinator under Mike Vrabel before he got hired by Atlanta the second team that I don't like how they handled their business at all are the New England Patriots and look Gerard Mayo might turn out to be an excellent head coach in fact I'll be rooting for him because I actually did a deep dive whenever I thought he might be a contender for the head coaching job uh, with the Texans but does does the way the Patriots came about hiring Gerard Mayo and then all of the rest of their coaching decisions, like they just hired their their defensive coordinator, which is going to be Demarcus Covington, who was the defensive line coach for the Patriots. What did I miss? Like the Patriots have been awful the yeah. last two years. They've won 12 games in the last two seasons, and they're promoting from within. Like they should have said, sorry, Gerard Mayo, but Mike Vrabel's out on the market. I like, my, I like Mike Vrabel a lot, but I'm hoping Gerard Mayo does some good things. Here, here's where I'm at with the Patriots. This feels very Lovey Smith to me. You won 12 games in two years, and you're promoting Gerard Mayo to be head coach. You won 12 games in two years, and you're promoting the defensive line coach to be the defensive 
offensive coordinator. I don't even think they talk to other people. This feels like Lovey Smith with the Houston Texans. The only difference is the Texans had a fake coaching search where the New England Patriots never had a coaching search. They had a, they had a handshake agreement, and they were loyal to a fault to where they weren't going to go away from that, and they let Bill Belichick in on the process of who was going to be a successor from some of the things that I've read. But you're right. Overall, they're loyal to a, to a fault. And the fact is, I don't think that they were anticipating Vrabel was going to be on the market when he was. But look, I think that the Cowboys had basically a a handshake agreement with Dan Quinn that Dan Quinn was going to be the heir apparent to Mike McCarthy. Things change. They paid him, in the the meantime, a a higher salary than most coordinators and whatever the, the, the title that goes with an associate head coach. But at the same time, they still reserve the right to go in a different direction if there's a better candidate or one they like more that's still out there. So I think that... You're right. To, to the way that the Patriots handled it, at least test the market. Look at where they struggled the most. Whether you move on from your quarterback or not, you know offense has been a challenge for the last several years with Belichick. At least explore some of these young offensive coordinators and listen to them and see with the interview process what they think you could do with the pieces that they have and what they would do to get pieces that they don't. The fact that they just went basically and said, no, we're sticking to our guns. We said we were going to go with Gerard Mayo. We're going to go with Gerard Mayo. We're not even going to have the process. That's on them, but you're right. They haven't won a whole lot. And look, the Belichick coaching tree has a lot to be desired as well with guys that have come up under Bill Belichick. Yeah, I wouldn't be happy with the way the the Falcons came about being there uh, to their head coach if I was a Falcons fan. And then I'd be really ticked off if I were a Patriots fan. You're, you're You're selling to me. You're selling to me a staff that won 12 games in the last two years, and you want me to be happy about it? And you didn't even interview anybody else? Ugh, don't like it. Uh, 713-780-3776. What is tougher to achieve in sport? Kansas City winning or going to six straight AFC championships or the Astros going to seven straight AL championship series? 713-780-3776. Killer Bees, ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5.